Welcome to Pushing Past Poverty with Caroline, Maeve, and Matt. Today we'll be discussing the EITC and its effects on labor force participation and poverty. The Earned Income Tax Credit, also known as EITC, was initiated in 1975 as part of the Tax Reduction Act in order to help the working poor and encourage others to work. It differs greatly from other welfare programs due to the fact that both single parents and married couples are eligible for assistance. Since it has been enacted, it has become the federal government's largest cash assistance program for low-income families, providing an after-tax subsidy for low-income workers. As of 2016, the ITC has lifted over 6.5 million people out of poverty, 3.3 of which were children, showing that this is the most effective anti-poverty program for people of the working age. The way that EITC is allocated depends on earnings, number of children, and marital status. Each family will be given a credit, which equals a percentage of their earnings, up to a maximum credit. Both the credit rate and the maximum credit depend on family size, meaning that larger families will receive a much larger credit. Once the credit meets the maximum, it remains constant until it reaches a phase-out point, in which it then declines with each additional, additional dollar earned. To give you some background, in 2017, the phase-out amount was just over $18,000. To gain perspective on how family structure affects the amount credited to a family, we'll look at some data from 2017. A family with one child received a maximum credit of $3,400, yet a family with three or more children received a maximum credit of $6,318. That is almost double the amount. On the other hand, a childless family only earned $510 in a credit. These numbers show that the EITC does not benefit families that do not have children. Now that our listeners have some background on what the EITC is and how it functions, we'll hear from our two guest experts. Joining us today is Professor Nicole Simpson and Chuck Marr. Professor Simpson is an econ professor at Colgate University. She has been at Colgate since 2001 and holds both an MA and PhD in econ. Currently, she's focused on studying the impacts of the EITC on the labor supply when households face credit constraints. In addition, she heads up the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program, VITA, through which she has researched the effects of EITC. Welcome, Professor, and thank you for joining us today. Um, In one of your papers, you discuss how the EITC impacts different households in Madison County. Could you please talk about how you think the EITC has affected rural communities such as Shenango County? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the EITC is a very important anti-poverty program. Uh, across the United States and and certainly in rural and urban areas and so so for low and middle income households and in fact households that earn up to almost sixty thousand dollars now qualify mm-hmm. um, they're getting a large share of their income um, through the EITC and so it can represent a huge portion of their after-tax income and um, and for lower income households especially those in the twenty five to thirty five thousand dollar range um, they can really earn up to about twenty five percent of their annual income through the EITC they get back so it can be it can have huge impacts on households and especially those with children and so it really is targeted at um, families with children and so for those households it's playing a very important role in their livelihood and in Shenango and uh, Madison County both uh, Shenango County is slightly lower income levels than Madison um, not significantly so but you know certainly uh, there is a difference there and so um, so you could argue then given their lower income levels that it is having a slightly larger impact there but but you know nationwide it's a very important anti-poverty uh, program that mm-hmm. is used um, and it's it's not doesn't bias you know against or uh, uh, for rural households it's just anybody who qualifies in certain income levels with uh, with children uh, households with ch- children will qualify for that so great thank you um, 
So there have been recent tax policy changes uh, that have an impact. So how do you think those will affect the benefits that the EITC gives? Yeah, so the EITC hasn't changed um, recently. The most recent change was in uh, Obama's uh, last couple of years. He did make it more generous for households with three or more children. So before there was a max, a cap with two or more children. And so now bigger households will get more EITC. And that's been now um, about three or four years ago. So that was the last change. There wasn't any change in this most recent tax policy. Um, that that will impact or change the structure of the EITC. It mm-hmm. is historically the EITC is um, something that both Republicans and Democrats like uh, because it's rewarding and incentivizing those who work, and so Republicans can usually rally around it. And for Democrats, like, like I said, it is a big part of the anti-poverty program and our social welfare, our safety net in mm-hmm. this country. And so so it is something that crosses. There's support usually bipartisan, um, and so it, it has expanded um, since the early 70s when it has begun. But this last um, tax legislation, there was no impact or changes to the EITC. Now, households will change how much they can, you know, uh, deduct and all sorts of things um, in their income, but that shouldn't impact their EITC levels. Okay, okay. Um, and so then also in one of your papers, you found that the EITC fills 31% of the gap between people's adjusted gross income and the poverty line. Yeah. So looking forward, how do you think the EITC, like what role do you think it will play in reducing the gap even further? Yeah, I mean, I think as long as um, low and middle income wages and incomes in this country are fairly stagnant, and they have been for the last couple of decades, um, it's going to play a really important role in, in filling that gap between um, the national poverty line, which is, you know, there's a debate about is that the right measure of poverty, mm-hmm. um, but certainly it is playing a very important role. So until wages start going up for low and middle income households at the same rates as high income high income house incomes, um, I think it's going to play a, an increasingly important role um, for more and more households have been qualifying for it over time because it has continued to expand um, both in terms of your income range that you qualify but also the, the structure of your household so so I don't see it um, dampening in, in its impact or effects um, if anything um, you know I think as long as those wages are fairly stagnant it will continue to play a very large role now if the economy adjusts and you know we um, have a more uh, equal distribution of income across, you know, low and middle and high income households, then I would say that EITC is going to be less important. Okay. But right now it's very important because mm-hmm. of that inequality. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, and then you found that the EIT- EITC helps most people get by just with their daily needs. Yeah. And- but you said that does not improve economic mobility. Would you mind touching on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, we asked households and again, this is in our sample of rural households. Yes. Um, um, that have fa- that children, and those children can be, you know, newborn, or they can be still in college age uh, because you still qualify for the ATC if you have kids in college. So, so you know, households are using it very differently here. I think compared to urban settings, rural households will tend more likely use it for things like heat in our climate, right? That makes a lot of sense because that's that's a kind of unpredictable cost for households that varies, right? Goes from zero effectively in the summer to high levels in the winter and households can't predict how harsh a winter and what oil prices are gonna be and that sort of thing. So it's used as a buffer for um, heating households in the north. But also um, compared to urban households, a lot of our households say they use it for cars, that they need to get to work somehow. And if they don't have a reliable car, they either they need to get a different car or they need to invest in their current car to fix it so that they can get around because of course there's no 
public transportation system in rural areas. And so mm-hmm. so those are two big differences we see in rural households, how they use CATs rather than urban areas. Um, and, you know, you would hope that some are saving it. But, you know, again, a lot of people, um, it is a forced savings account. You talk to households and they say, yeah, I know I'm going to get $3,000 back. And so it's kind of my forced savings. And they've saved, they have like, something they want to save for, whether it's a vacation or education or whatever, you know, paying the heating bill. Um, they know usually they can predict with fairly, quite a bit of certainty how much they're going to get back and they've already built that into their economic decisions for the year so so you know they don't put it in the stock market right these are relatively low and middle income households that don't mm-hmm. have that sort of um extra income to do that sort of thing right mm-hmm. but they're paying for like i said more basic needs and necessities and that's not surprising either yeah yeah, yeah. well great that's uh, all we have so thank you so much okay, for answering sure. these questions yeah. we really appreciate it our next guest is chuck marr Chuck Maher is the Director of Federal Tax Policy at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. During his career, he has been an economic policy advisor to the Senate Majority Leader and a senior advisor for the budget policy at the National Economic Council during President Clinton's second term. More recently, he was a senior political strategist for Lehman Brothers, where he analyzed the impact of public policy on the financial market. Thank you for joining us, Chuck. Do you see the EITC as does it seem to help people have economic mobility or is it more so just helps people stay out of poverty, would you say? Yeah, I think it's just both those things, right? I think it, it, you know, it, along with um, food stamps snap, right, for working age people and for, um, for children is the main, uh, most effective anti-policy program in the United States, right? It was the 10 Millions of people out of poverty, so it's very powerful. In that, um, so it's very effective there. Um, as far as mobility, there's no even debate about the ITC about whether it, it should be received as a lump sum or as a uh, more of a monthly or, or you know, monthly payment. And one thing about the lump sum uh, mm-hmm. the people get a big chunk of Yeah. 
our last question. Um, it's kind of looking forward. Do you think that the recent tax policy changes will um, affect the EITC's influence on family outcomes, or do you think it'll stay constant? Well, the most recent outcome Major Trump tax bill completely ignored the ITC, right? Mm -hmm. That's, I think, one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest flaws. You know, tax bill, I mean, obviously, from our perspective, has been flawed. Um, but it's very heavily tilted to very high income people, and there's like been a small change in the child tax credit for low income people, but they really believe that low income kids will be left out of that. And the ITC was completely neglected. It's been somewhat, I think, Somewhat surprising when you think about how Trump, his campaign was so focused on working class people and sort of the economic point of working class people. And the ITC really is the main way of subsidy for working class people. Um, so that was uh, unfortunate. So I would say that right now we have this, you know, we have this shift in power, we have more of a shift in power in 2020. So focus of ours now is trying to shift the income back um, to trying to restructure the tax law that was just enacted and to increase the ITC, increase the child tax credit. Mm -hmm. Because again, we need to, and the head, you know, again, we come at the, the single mom, right, she received, you know, $10,000 or dollars but that's over, it built up over many, many years, right, and so in terms of 1974, right, you know, the change they did in 86 to the 1993. So you, you really, in this, in this line of work, you want to be constantly pushing for every opportunity because it's, it's cumulative, but you, you only get so much each time. Yeah. All right, well, that was our last question. Um, thank you again so much. Clearly, the EITC has had a significant effect on low and moderate income families through a variety of different mechanisms. While the effects were originally targeted towards single mothers, the benefits have greatly improved the quality of life for millions of families of all compositions. While this impact may seem hard to believe, I have had the fortunate experience to witness this firsthand. As a student leader for the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program, or VITA, here at Colgate University, I have been able to ensure low and moderate income families receive the EITC from their income tax filings. Hearing how these families will use these credits, whether it be to pay bills, put a down payment on a car, or pay for tutoring or softball practices for their kids, seeing the excitement and hope they feel when they receive the EITC reassures me of the success of the program and the need for it to continue throughout all administrations. Thank you all for joining today and listening to all our guests on how they see the effects of the EITC through their line of work. Be sure to join us again next week.